Good evening, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Future Audit Podcast, where we dive into how emerging technologies will impact the world and your bank account. I'm Trent Fowler, and joining me as always is my co-host, Thomas Fry. Thomas and I are futurists, keynote speakers, and consultants with decades of experience in analyzing trends and communicating new developments to audiences across the world. Reach out to us at futuratipodcast.com slash contact dash futurati if you'd like to hire us for consulting, to speak at your event, or to advertise on our podcast. Thomas, we just wrapped up a fascinating interview with Julian Rodriguez, who's really kind of a crypto OG. He was uh, involved in Bitcoin back in 2012, 2013. He's a, a member of the, the Bitcoin Foundation, a lifetime member of the Bitcoin Foundation. He says he was one of the first, what, 10 or 20 people that Vitalik Buterin sent the Ethereum white paper to. So he's got really deep experience in this area. Now he's working on an NFT startup. So were there any aspects of the conversation that really jumped out at you? Well, yeah, the fact that Vitalik offered him 10,000 ETH for $4,000 and he turned it down. Yeah. Um, instantly, from our perspective today, we say, oh, man, what an idiot. <laughs> but at, at, at the time, uh, 4000 a lot of money. I don't know. That could just go right into the toilet. Um, yeah. No, yeah. No. Uh, it's easy yeah. to say that once you already know how the story played out. <laughs> Right, it's, exactly. it's much harder to make that judgment when you don't already know the answer. You know when it's easy to make a prediction when you already know the answer. That's when it's really easy to make a prediction. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, with um, with him hanging out with this group of people, and and some of his responses to did did you know they were that talented? Did you know that they were going to go on to do great things? Um, yeah, we we don't know when we're in the presence of somebody who's who's going to make a huge difference in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's something that uh, it's, it's never obvious. It's not like they have a sign around their neck saying, I'm going to be famous. Uh, yeah. 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 If they do, that's, that's problematic. <laughs> Those yeah. people tend not to do as well. Yeah. Like they did on Saturday night live where uh, John Lovett was saying, get to know me. Uh, and then he would go on and say, say why people should get to know him. Um, that uh, that I think is is uh, it's it's real easy to look at somebody and say, wow, you've you've lived a gifted life and hung around with all these people. But while he has, he's trying to figure out now how to do something with that. And I think he might be might be onto things because he's got great insight into how things work today and how they could work in the future. So I think that that's a uh, that's that's a good pathway to be following. I agree. He's been in the space for a long time. He clearly believes in his potential, and he's had the opportunity to witness its ups and downs and the rise and fall of various empires over the past ten or fifteen years. So I, I felt that that enthusiasm really came through in the interview. He obviously cares a lot about this and cares a lot about getting that right. And so yeah, I enjoyed the interview. I enjoyed talking to him, and I hope you guys do too. So without further ado, this is episode 138 with Julian Rodriguez. Tonight, we're joined by Julian Rodriguez. Julian is a serial entrepreneur, product manager, and innovation-focused strategist with a passion for leading teams that build easy-to-use products and solve large problems. After founding a disruptive venture capital-backed tech startup in food service, uh, he joined Bitcoin Magazine in 2013, where he worked directly with its co-founder, Vitalik Buterin. He was a very early team member and advisor to several successful crypto and blockchain projects, including Ethereum, and he is a lifetime member of the Bitcoin Foundation. 
If you enjoy this interview, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. And don't forget to check out our website, futuritypodcast.com. Julian, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Let's hear a little bit about your background, your interests, and what brought you to working on the problems that you're working on today. Yeah, so, you know, my background with crypto uh, starts a long time ago, uh, about 2012, and right, long time for, right, like crypto, I would say. Um, I got in really sort of chasing the whole mining uh, scene. I was really interested in how people sort of make uh, Bitcoin through this concept known as mining. And it let me down a pretty aggressive rabbit hole. And um, I ended up in 2013 working with uh, Vitalik Buterin at the Bitcoin Magazine. Um, yeah, so that was a that was a once in a lifetime opportunity, I think, to not only be on the ground floor of like a new growing tech, you like tech, right, technology, but working with someone like Vitalik, right? That was uh, that was in that was insane to say the least. Uh, he's always a smart guy. Um, you know, I'm slightly older than he is. But even back then, I mean, I think I think he was uh it was definitely like raw prime Vitalik, right? 2013, 2014. And uh yeah, I mean he was really like that. He wasn't he wasn't like um absorbed with himself or thought that he was this kind of genius person. You could just see, right, like um sort of the wealth of information and focus that he had on blockchain um was just apparent. And so when when you were working with him, did you have a sense as to oh this is the guy, this is the guy that's kind of go a long ways? Uh, did you have that sense? So that, that's a great question. Um, to to be honest, no. Um, right. I think it was just like we seemed to exist in a world in crypto at the time where there were like it felt like there were a ton of genius hidden people, right? So think about like sort of Julian Assange, right? Uh, you, you didn't really know who was, was like behind the mask at Anonymous, you know, where these people were. But it was this idea that there were like, there were Vitalik sort of hidden deep within sort of all continents and right everywhere. And um, it just, it just, it just seemed like he was one of those, right? It seemed like he was someone who could um, see through everything and at the same time didn't want to participate in most things. Right, so I guess like to answer your question, right? What when you think about like that guy that's going to make it, right? The traditional like, could you identify like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos, right? I, I would say I would never ever put have put in in that category. Um, it was just this was like a really smart dude, um, but not necessarily that we knew how valuable that intelligence was, right? Um, I think it was just like hardcore sort of nerd fest that's what bitcoin was like in 2000 <laughs> well it's not not just about being smart it's about being very very relentless and very determined and uh, uh just able to just kind of make things happen and those, those are kind of intangibles that are really hard to uh kind of uncover in a personality yeah yeah for sure and, th and there were a lot of people right i think um you know so his co-founder mihai was a little older than both of us. He seemed to have this sort of larger vision of what um, technology could really sort of do, what this tech could sort of do. 
I think I think some of us maybe looked at, to him as sort of like an older brother. Um, I know I did. Um, and then there were there were there were other people, uh, Amir Taki, um, Charlie Shrem. There were there were a lot of a lot of people, but I I don't know. Maybe we're just too young to sort of think of the world in that way. Um, and I, I think for 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 the majority of the time, we saw the tech as something that we were seeking to undo the financial order of the way things were. We weren't looking to like replace it. We weren't looking to become Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan. We wanted to see sort of the end of those entities. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of the tech and our researching. <clears throat> yeah. Well, we, we often talked about the definition of an entrepreneur as being uh, the French word for too stupid to quit. <laughs> okay. I like it. <laughs> um and uh, there's there's something to that. I mean, you you yeah, you you can't talk yourself out of things. You just have to keep plugging away and making things happen. Yeah. Um so I I don't know, you've you've been kind of blessed in a lot of ways with um kind of hanging around a lot of the right people and uh so that's kind of set you up for the company that you have right now and uh, the direction you're headed. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think that is the core of what, you know, my company does now, Memento, uh, was definitely sort of birthed back in, you know, 2013, 2014, those times, you know, a lot of that time spent with Vitalik, you know, um, some of the biggest insights that I had from the, you know, from that time, where we spend a lot of time thinking about what would be sort of the killer app, right? To onboard people onto crypto or blockchain um, related tech and sort of what would be the, 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 the path of sort of right least resistance um, or sort of the, the most virtualist way to bring people on. And uh, the conversation always kept coming back to uh, sort of a social media, right? Uh, like a social media environment where people own their digital content, um, took ownership over it, interacted with people, everything was on the blockchain, was transparent, and individuals operated in a decentralized way without sort of like a middleman or arbiter. Um, no need to sort of like worry about having ads run against your content or things like that. And um, that's really where the majority of what we do now, Momento, comes from, um, right? I think that 2014, 2015 was a little too early. Uh, the market might not have really been there, right? Uh, the sort of the zeitgeist of what people were thinking about definitely wasn't there. Uh, but then we saw we saw a lot of that in uh, 2021, right? Post-pandemic, people were spending much more time online. Um, you know, Dogecoin, which was sort of a, a, a joke early on and had been for the majority of its life cycle, was now mainstream, right? It's a household name. People knew about it. It was on the SNL, right? Um, you have like, you know, the people in top Forbes, you know, top Forbes 10, right? Constantly talking about crypto and 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 Bitcoin and things like that. So um, I think we're definitely in a different era. And that's when, you know, um, I decided to um, launch Momenta. Okay. So since you got in around 2012, you've, you've got to be close to a gazillionaire by now. <laughs> I, I wish. I, I, I wish. I, I would say... My 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 career in crypto is really marked by more opportunities that I've missed out on, right? No, knowing I've seen them, and sort of right opportunities that I think have existed, 
Um, right. Cause like back then, I mean, if you got into anything and just kind of held, yeah. Right. You know, but I, I think, so a lot of lost keys and a lot of lost wallets for sure. Um, even stuff like, I remember when we were first experimenting with paper wallets, this was like a, th a, a very popular thing at one time. Okay. You know, just, just print, um, your private keys and right. Like, uh, your public keys will just be scannable. Right. Um, Kind of in a lot of that, I destroyed or lost a lot of wallets. Um, there was a lot of that going on. So there's a lot of cement in uh, Bitcoin um, specifically. Uh, and then other opportunities, right? Like, um, so Vitalik offering me, you know, 10,000 E for $1,000 and me say no. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of things like that, I think happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think as a whole, I've been fortunate to really see the space explode with innovators and real companies, right? And and customer bases or people who are actually deriving value from a lot of these projects. And that to me has been like the most valuable of all of this. I've met hundreds of people. You know, I've been I, I've been to events in Singapore, London, right, San Francisco, uh, Miami. Right. And um, it, it's it's it, it, it all feels the same way that it felt in those early 2013 meetup groups in New York. Uh, right. And so I know that a lot of this tech could be used the right way to influence and grow certain segments of uh, right our general economy. And I, I really just can't wait until sort of we get over this idea of hyper speculation and really start building again. Hello, this is Trent Fowler, co-host of the Futurati Podcast. One of the most common pieces of marketing advice I've come across is to know your audience and give them what they want. One difficulty in podcasting is that it's actually pretty hard to do this. None of the major platforms give us any way to reach out to you, our listeners, to find out what you enjoy about the Futurati Podcast and what you'd like to see done differently. So we've decided to record this commercial and ask you directly to reach out to us. Head over to futuratipodcast.com Go to the contact page and drop us a line. Tell us about your favorite and least favorite episodes, what you'd like to see us cover in the future, and anything else you want us to know. We produce this show for you, and we want your advice so we can make it even better. Thank you. So you you were one of the original miners. You you had had the gear, the equipment, and you were you were mining uh, Bitcoin. <clears throat> um, do you have an estimate for how many? Bitcoins have been lost. I mean, people uh, lose lose the, the number and suddenly it's gone. Uh, yeah, so I would easily say uh, it's probably somewhere in under 20%, but I'd say somewhere around 10% of all, all Bitcoins are probably uh, permanent. So one, one of the things that we've, we've discussed several times is this idea that... Um, you people, you know, they they like to hide things and put things away so that nobody will steal them from them. And so this idea of hiding money in a mattress was the old way to do it. Now they they hide it in a, a crypto key that they'll stick somewhere in their files, somewhere on their computer, and nobody can find it. Nobody knows where it is. <clears throat> um, so it it occurred to me that. Over the course of time, over the next 10,000 years, um, every one of the Bitcoin files will have been lost. Um, 
is that a possibility and is there a way to to actually resurrect the dead crypto that are out there so it is definitely a possibility um i think what we started doing maybe the past five or six years were migrating to the cloud right now there are sort of cloud services that are our custodians for your keys if you trust them uh now whether those companies will sort of go out of business most likely right eventually have given enough time but for example coinbase has been a pretty safe place to put your crypto over the past you know close to about a decade now um right so uh everywhere else has typically not been um the problem with you know will there be a way to resurrect some of these coins that have been lost is a lot of them are like permanently lost right so like uh paper wallets and, and things like that like i described but also you just reformat your your hard drive right and right. bomb right because it's it's right. locked forever um I, you know i think if you if you had access to the actual file what you're trying to do is figure out the private key um so essentially you know theoretically we might get to a place where we can uh, sort of brute force this uh at that point um bitcoin might you know unlocking bitcoin or resurrecting bitcoin wallets might be like the least of our worries i mean yeah. it, it, you know they, they'd use that stuff for like yeah nuclear armament and stuff like that right like it, it, it would get pretty insane um but yeah i mean i i think that I think that most of the people really uh, who probably have a lot of crypto that's been locked up, I think they're just, I think they've just passed away. Right. So I think that they were the last people who had these private keys, never communicated it to anyone, not, not a spouse or, or, or right offspring or family or friends. And it's just, it's just gone literally forever. Um, yeah. I think, I, I think that that, you know, those three things together make up the grand majority of, of the keys are lost. Is is it possible to revive any of those? So only if you only if you sort of right check to brute force the algorithm for the private key. Okay. Uh, there there is no reissuance of these tokens. Uh, the 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 Bitcoin algorithm will continue until you know the the twenty one millionth coin is 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 sort of minted, uh, and then that that number of coins will just statically exist. Um, and yeah, you, you would, you technically speaking would never be able to move that. Yeah. We, we typically on this show don't talk about politics and religion, but, uh, in a general sense, how, uh, how would you describe the U S attitude towards crypto at the moment? And, and does God mind Bitcoin? We've <laughs> <laughs> got a Bitcoin. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe, right. I mean, we're kind of, you know, we use all different types of energy generally to do these calculations. So, you know, I, I'm, it seems like God has some sort of vested interest in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think to answer to your question, um, so in 2014, we witnessed uh, Ben Lofsky pass the bit license here in New York City, and uh, there were hearings, uh, public hearings, there were um, a set of regulations passed. And um, I think people were um, maybe not prosecuted, but companies definitely fined heavily. And it totally decimated the crypto tech ecosystem in New York City. 
2014, 15, 16. Um, a lot of those startups, um, right? So it's not only just like, so the fees of the regulatory environment creates, but it's now the perspective from customers and investors. No investor is going to want to put, put their money in you because now you're a, a crypto startup based in New York City at the time. So a lot of those companies had to fold up, you know, move. Vitalik himself ended up going over to Europe. Uh, you know, Switzerland was sort of a hotbed for a lot of people. A lot of people were in Spain, London, et cetera. I think globally today, uh, America doesn't have the best, but not the worst. I would say the worst is, is really China. Uh, uh, the best in terms of like a single country is um, something closer to, to like Japan meets, I don't know, Salvador, sort of. Uh, okay. Right. But yeah, I think there's a lot of talk in DC. I, w I was in DC last month and there was um, uh, the Bitcoin um, Policy Institute uh, had a uh, had a conference. Uh, Ted Cruz was there uh, in the US. Uh, you know, crypto friendliness seems to be leaning uh, Republican right now. Um, but uh, I'm not, it didn't seem like they were that knowledgeable on like the nuances of why this was a good thing, it, it really seemed like it was maybe just a talking point for them and, and, and their constituents. I know early on, Bitcoin was very heavily libertarian, right? So that seems to be right. that of, of sort of the the, the right the right wing uh, anyway. Uh, but those guys were cool back in the day. They didn't really make it a political talking point. They right. were interested in understanding what we were doing. And they would show up. They would they would they would show up. A lot of politicians would be there around us uh right at these meetup groups and you know it wasn't it wasn't for votes right we were we were not we weren't voting <laughs> you know you know and so um yeah i think you know i think that there that there there was a lot of interest in where this could go sort of what the philosophy behind this was a lot of people in the early days um like the philosophy you know philosophically their thought process came from like the early sort of phone freakers right it was just yeah. right so uh and then sort of rebranded cypherpunks um um so yeah i mean i think it was just i think unfortunately today uh as long as you know if the politicians keep trying to make it a political talking point they're never really going to pass any regulation that make that 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 makes sense or that helps the situation but an all-out ban, I don't think we're going in that direction. I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, I mean, the U.S. There were members of the intelligence community at the at the at the event, and uh, they seemed very, very focused on making sure that the United States wasn't going to fall behind uh, as sort of a leader in the industry. And they pointed at um, like um, you know, uh, sort of national right. Um, sort of natural defense reasons why, mm -hmm. right? So uh, they made it seem they made it seem that, but I I don't really know much about that. I'm not sure what the you know NSA specifically is interested in, what they're thinking, how they sort of use weaponize this against other countries and our, our better interests. Um, I am I'm a, I'm a capitalist. Uh, um, I, I live in New York City. I'm interested in American you know sort of domestic growth. Uh, so I, I, I don't really think of it that way. Um, I'm really just interested in sort of a revival maybe of like 
the builders here in tech in, in the US. And I think this is a huge opportunity um, for us. Are you enjoying this episode of the Futurati podcast? If so, please like it, give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share it with your friends. By far, the best way to help us grow is to spread the word on social media, which will expose our content to more people and help us continue to bring you interviews with world-leading experts in AI, quantum computing, cryptocurrencies, and so much more. Thank you in advance. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening with the philosophy of Bitcoin. You had the progressive Bitcoiners in 2022 and 2023. There's actually a book out now I haven't had a chance to read yet. I think it's called The Progressive Case for Bitcoin. And you even have blockchain socialists. So it's kind of going in a lot of different directions. And then you've got uh, J uh, Jason Lowry's thesis on uh, soft war and how Bitcoin is like the next evolution in warfare. And uh, we, we interviewed Matt Pines a little while back on the cyber or the national security implications of Bitcoin. So yeah, it's, it's really gone in a lot of different directions, this whole crypto project. But I actually wanted to, to go back to something you said earlier. You uh, claimed that you had met you know, hundreds of people who've gotten a lot of use out of this technology. And you've been all over the world. You've talked to uh, people who are, are are making use of it in various uh, corners of the earth to to do whatever it is that they're doing. So you you still have people now who believe that uh, this is a pointless exercise. We're wasting all this energy. Uh, this is never going to be a replacement for the dollar. I was wondering if you could just walk through a couple of the examples of people using it in their daily lives that have stuck out to you uh, that have proven especially memorable. Yeah. So what I can talk about is you know. Aside from sort of the exchanges, uh, right, and like the Coinbase's of the world, and maybe even like digital marketplaces like OpenSea, aside from those, right? Uh, so, so blockchain, what it really offers is uh, typically the way that people explain it uh, is a decentralized ledger, an immutable decentralized ledger, right? And so this is open use, right? So, for example, it's kind of like if you had a modern city. Uh, right, uh, humans are dependent on the ability to drink water, right? And so sort of like a key element to unlock um, productivity of any civilization and sort of scale and grow civilization would to be to bring fresh accessible water to that city. Um, historically, this is extremely accurate. I mean, you know, Rome was one of the first places to really make this happen and every single city progressively has, has, has now done that. And so water is considered a public works, right? It's, it's a civil... Uh, sort of municipal uh, engagement amongst all of us collectively that is ensured by uh, not not only the private sector but right, um, the, the 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 federal government itself, and so I think that that's probably the best way to really think about blockchain when you think about how much time we are spending on the internet, right? Uh, in terms of blockchain being a sort of universal utility, uh, open. Uh, to the decentralized use of every single individual, right? There are no gatekeepers on the blockchain. There's no one that can stop you from interacting with, with essentially what some people can understand as a protocol, right? Uh, or the layer one, uh, which in this case, let's say we're talking about um, Bitcoin or, or we could be talking about Ethereum. There, there's no gatekeeper there, right? And so the idea is, well, what could a person really do with this, right? And so what we've been seeing in the past sort of six, seven years is a lot of people building on top of that what they believe are, are, are good use cases, right? And so from everything that I've seen, I mean, we've seen innovations in supply chain management. So, and I, I'm not even talking about like individual people or like cool, buzzy startups. I'm talking about, right, like 
Fortune 100 companies, right? right. Putting supply chain, uh, supply chain solutions on blockchain. You know, we're talking about IBM plugging in right there, massive supercomputers into blockchain tech, right? Um, countless amounts of POS systems that's been going on sort of since day one. Um, people have even been talking about tracking the food supply, right? So um, supply chains are definitely, I think, number one thing. Um, I think the biggest good, of course, that one can imagine is something now that begins to touch like the monetary policy, right? So the central bank of, of certain countries, that's like the holy grail. But of course, right, that's where we have all of this friction with politicians and banks and right all these different interests that I'm not sure we're ever going to get there. Um, but quite possibly, we might not have to, right? I mean, uh, um, there are a lot of ups and downs in our economy. It's not, it's not built in a way to be, well, at least I believe, it's not built in a way to be super efficient. That might not be what we actually want. Uh, and that's why we have so many policy changes, right? And the, the role of someone like Jerome Powell is, is, is being so active, right? And so unless we all fully commit to, hey, we're going to have this on a transparent uh, ledger where everyone individually uh, you know, um, partakes in the system, I don't really think we could just migrate in that direction. Um, so I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll continue to, to sort of see sort of the private sector, right? Uh, where you're seeing a lot of people even do things like real estate, a lot of commercial real estate deals, right? Commercial real estate is now having sort of a, a, a having to stop and sort of reinvent itself. Uh, you know, maybe blockchain might be a thing there. Um, I've seen startups working on everything from organ donors um, to sperm donors, right? Uh, and even tracking, um, yeah. Even you said sperm donors, and I immediately thought spank coin. That's that's like the level I'm operating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's the maturity and sober point of view we try to bring on the Futurati podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even even egg fertilization, right? Uh, it's actually like a thing, right? I mean, yeah, everyone everyone has like a thesis that they have around sort of their projects. Uh, but yeah, apparently there's like a lot of mix-ups that happen when it comes to like egg fertilization and people sort of end up with children who aren't theirs. This is like a thing. Um, yeah. And so there, there's just a lot of, um, there's a lot of legacy systems that could be well-balanced through just the use of this decentralized ledger. And uh, I think, you know, smarter... Or, or smart operators are out there figuring out what those use cases are uh, and bringing them forward. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, for me, I think supply chain is like the number one thing that sticks out. What we are deciding to do is apply this to the creator economy, right? We think that um, sort of Hollywood, so the big screen and the small screen are set for disruption. The way that people are entertained uh, is going to change and the way that people interact online is going to change. And we think that um, right, the, the, the suite of decentralized tools, um, you know, the blockchain, smart contracts, NFTs, all of these can help content creators create in real life and digital experiences that haven't really been seen yet, just because we don't have the technology really powering that today, right? Today, social media is really just all about running ads. So it kind of works in one way, right? So you're not really having a social experience online you're passively watching ads and scrolling through donated content, right? And so, you know, what what does the world look like when we open it up to the real creativity of people and people start acting the way they do in the real world? 
we don't know. We're sort of in that experiment now. And and, and that's what we, at Momento, that's what we're pushing forward. Yeah, I'm actually curious to know a little bit more about that. So what specifically you're doing, how you think that's going to unlock the creator economy. And then before we wrap up, I'd like to get your perspective on generative AI and some of the stuff that's going on there. So some of the copyright questions when you can just make a Drake song on your own and what, what that what that means for everybody, how NFTs figure into that. It seems, seems like there's some rich territory to explore there at the intersection of these two technologies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So no, that's a, that, that's a great question uh, because that's exactly what we cover, right? Um, so we started working on this and be, before AI sort of was like having its moment before AI wasn't really a thing. Uh, but the same tenets apply. We really didn't have to change anything. Um, so for example, what we focus on is, right, if you really look, the biggest media creators uh, today come from the Vine generation, right? Logan Paul, KSI, uh, these people made their imprint on, you know, it was just an experiment that Twitter ran for about a year and a half. And uh, they realized that their personal brand was more powerful than the technology itself. Because ultimately, you know, technology is great for metrics and efficiency, but ultimately humans are interested in interacting with other humans. That is the core of our entire human existence. If it right. weren't just us and there were no other humans, we would stop existing. We would, you know, unalive ourselves and they would all be done. Right. And so the idea that the internet is going to exist, you know, in a way that doesn't include that gamut of, you know, human expression uh, and, and experience is that's it's ludicrous. It's, it's, it's just not Right. And so the scale of things that can happen once we figure out how to combine those two, it's just going to be uh, like m multiples uh, 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 higher and larger than anything that we've had to date. Right. And so you can sort of see a lot of people, a lot of people sort of make fun of, of Zuckerberg over his sort of uh, VR metaverse uh, saying it's failed. But uh, I argue that it hasn't at all. I mean, you know, I have I have a, I have an Oculus. Um, and, uh, I've stopped using it because every time I go on it, it's a bunch of 12 year olds and I'm not 12 years old. Right. So like every person that's on there is the 12 year old and they're having fun. Right. I I'm guessing they spend hours with their friends and all their friends have it. I mean, you, you can walk into Walmart right now, pick one up for a couple hundred bucks. Right. So what are those, the idea that those kids are going to stop that behavior pattern and just move on to something else. I, I think it's a low percentage that, that, that that's going to change, right? So you're already seeing more and more people having digital experiences um, and, and, and living or spending more time online, right? I mean, what we're doing right now, this video call is now commonplace, right? I, so I literally, you know, I, I work from home, right? So uh, my, my technical setup, my camera, everything is designed for me to be able to be on this sort of 24-7 if I have to. Um, and, uh, you know, your modern day ad platforms just don't cut it, right? It's just, it's just not good enough. Uh, and that's what I really think when I think of Facebook or I think of TikTok, they're just ad platforms, right? And so, uh, we offer creators a way to sort of prove ownership, um, and emphasize content rights, right? So now it, you stop sort of being an influencer and you really start being a creator, right? An influencer is just someone that points out views they run ads against your content and you kind of maybe cut a side deal with a brand and because what you're really doing is you're undercutting the facebook you go to the brand and you say hey instead of paying facebook for your ads just let me make an ad and i'll run it 
right? Uh, and and, and that's, that's really what they do, right? So, so the brand looks at the ROI and says, oh, well, it's 30% less for me to go directly to the, to the influencer. Let me work out, let me work with the influencer, right? Um, so what we do is we say, hey, you have a community of people that you inspire, of people that follow you, right? Now, go directly to them and build these relationships that we are used to, right? Back in the back in the 80s, even the 90s, we had fan clubs. We had 1-900 numbers, right? Where you, you were literally charged on like four or $6 a minute, but people were calling, right, to hear pre-recorded messages of like their favorite boy band, right, or, or Britney Spears, right, or, or whatever it was. People would attend conferences with index cards uh, and ask for signatures. And then they would try to resell that index card, right, uh, for $20 or something like that. I mean, that sounds like an NFT to me, right? And so the, the idea, like the, the number one thing that people have been doing, even before hunting, hunting is the second part. It's gathering. Uh, humans have been collecting since the, since, since the minute we were cognizant. Since the minute we were sentient, we've been collecting things. And so that part of human nature is just not going to change, right? And so blockchain sort of sorts that. Um, and that's the idea behind non-fungible tokens, right? It's the idea that things, can, yes, they can be digital, but they can also be unique, right? And so it, it, it's around sorting and categorizing that. And then we take it a step further, right? We apply the IP rights to digital content, which is something that really hasn't been seen online. Um, essentially, the content creator has really no leverage over their own content, right? So... Um, to put this in perspective, like um, record labels do this, right? They they represent artists. Uh, the artist puts out the music. If that music is uh, played without rights somewhere, you know, the, the record label will knock on your door or, or send an email or a letter uh, with a nice little header, right? Telling you to stop or I'm going to sue the crap out of you. And everyone stops. Spotify stops. Facebook stops. YouTube stops. Everyone will stop uh, because that artist has leverage, right? Because they own sort of the rights to their own IP. It really doesn't make sense that your average content creator doesn't have those same rights. And so we're stepping in to add those rights to the content creator, right? To, to bring that to them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we have, we have, a, we have a ton, we have about, we have over 6,000 content creators now who are doing that. Uh, and those rights also are able to be transferred on chain if you decide to buy or partake uh, in the in, in in the process, um, so all of that is now on chain. And we do some additional extra stuff for 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 their fans and followers. Uh, a ton of incentives there um, to help them uh, sort of grow as they help their favorite creators grow. Right. So again, I mean, this is just this is actually when you really sit down and look at what we've done. It it's actually so far from what like Facebook and TikTok do. It's just a total different experience. We think that that experience is more like what we do in real life, um, where right, like I don't, I don't present myself uh, and then sort of run ads next to my face, and stop and keep talking to you. Right? No, but we will, we will when this goes live. Do you need a dynamic and knowledgeable speaker for an event? Thomas Fry and me, Trent Fowler, are both seasoned keynote speakers, able to converse on a wide array of topics to audiences of all sizes and skill levels. Go to the contact page at futuratipodcast.com to book Thomas or myself today and let us apply our years of experience in public speaking to make your event a smashing success.
And and yeah, I mean, you know, and 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 really, that would kind of be okay if they offered even more, but they don't. It stops there. It's just onto the next, uh, you know, piece of content onto the next ad, right? That, you know, I mean, Instagram is wildly famous for just super, um, uh, you know, edited and you know, high, you know, post production filtered images. I mean, that is what the definition of an Instagram model is, right? It's like is this even this person's face anymore? Right. <laughs> um, and so it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's asinine really when you think about it. Um, and so we've all been sort of gaslit this past decade into believing that this is how you act on the internet. Um, and that's just not the case. And, you know, on top of that, I think Mark Zuckerberg has made enough money. <laughs> so <laughs> he may, he may disagree with you about that, but, um, so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to take your fifty billion dollars and just somehow, somehow make it work on that. Uh, do you have any final thoughts you want to leave the Futurati podcast audience with? Yeah, I think right, like you know, anytime whether it's AI or blockchain, um, I think it's right, like cut through the fluff and the hype, and you know, really see sort of the implications of of the tech. When new tech comes out and it and it gets that critical mass where people are talking about it. There's always something there, even if you don't sort of see it or understand it. You know, guys, again, to bring this full circle, I didn't get it when Vitalik told me about Ethereum. I really didn't. You know, I, I was one of the first people who received the white paper. I was one of 20. He sent it out to 20 people. Uh, I reviewed it. I reread it. I read it all upside down, backwards, right? <laughs> it was my job, you know? <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I, I, I was proud that we came up with it, but I was thinking, hey, you know, there'll be something that, you know, you know, we're, we're going to continue at the magazine and be something next. And, you know, uh, Vitalik saw it for what it was, right? Uh, of course, he was the originator of it. And, he, you know, he, he ran with it and, you know, he found his his tribe that helped him sort of bring this to fruition. And so I would just say when it comes to technology, you just never know, right? right. Um, and, and I'd say if you're if you're young, right? I mean, I was a senior in college. I think Vitalik was a sophomore. Um, if you're around people who are just inspired about something and passionate about that one thing, whatever it is, uh, join them, like, just do it. Like, you know, can do it. <laughs> I love it. That, that's hopeful and a excellent message for the builders of the future. So Julian, thanks so much for coming on the Futurati podcast and sharing your perspective on this ecosystem. Yeah, Julian, this is great. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.